middle of a series called The List. And basically what we've been saying all along is that wouldn't it be cool if God could just kind of give us a, 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 a tick mark thing, that we, a list of things to do, that if we did it, then we'd be better Christians, better people, better uh, examples of Jesus, right? Well, he did. And uh, we call it the list. It's out of Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And um, uh, the whole idea of the list is that we would uh, participate in the divine nature. That there's something more. I mean, I, I, I just love the, the, the songs that David chose this morning because they're so in tune with what we're talking about uh, this morning. That, that, that there's, there's some other life other than just going day to day. That, 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 that we're to participate in the divine nature, that we were made for more than just the patterns of this world. And so uh, the verse that we get this from is uh, uh, this one right here in uh, uh, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining, and then here's where the separation happens, everything pertaining to life, which is life, just going to work, going to school, um, uh, uh, you know, live, living out your life at the house and all that life, and godliness. And that's our first hint that the list has something to do other than just the physical world that we see. Life and godliness, yes, the physical world, but another world, another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so we kind of sum up the whole series as uh, life is more than coping. Uh, we, we're not here just to kind of make it through, to plod through, to finally get to, you know, the goal, the brass ring of retirement. I made it. You know, that is not the purpose of our life. It's not to just, oh, if I could just get through this marriage, if I could just get through school and then I'll get a job and then, or if I could just get through this job and then I could get another job. It, 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 it's Life is more than coping. And so we talked about, we've been talking about this list. And these things build on each other. And the first one uh, is goodness. And goodness just means moral excellence. It just means essentially doing the right thing. And, and for a lot of us, this is just obvious in the Christian life, right? I mean, Christians are supposed to be good people. And so the, it's no surprise that the list starts off with this kind of basic thing that, that we're to to be good, we're supposed to know right and wrong and choose right, you know. And so the, the whole point of the goodness part is that um, being obedient matters. Like we, we want to make sure we're obedient. I mean, that is a big deal. And what we talked about was we're obedient because Christ modeled it. It says in the Bible that Christ was obedient even unto death. And so he modeled this. And so that's what goodness is. It's just moral excellence. Second thing uh, we talked about was knowledge. And we talked about, it's not just amassing information. I mean, I've been around the church for a long, long time. And, and some of the most annoying Christians are the ones that have the most knowledge. You know, I don't know if you've ever met them, but they'll argue with you on every little thing and super laptarianism and all this kind of garbage. And you just got to go, I, you know, how's your marriage? You know, like, you know, the wife is like, right because it's not living out so we thought knowledge isn't just knowing there's something deeper and so we, we 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 looked at knowledge and how it's in the scriptures and it basically gets summed up by paul that just says i want to know him i want to know him we talked about that i want to know him and the power of his resurrection yay and the fellowship of his sufferings boo and it's like ah i want to know everything about him i want to uh, 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 know christ and so we were talking about that um to know christ is to become like him 
It's like, it's like that's that intimate knowledge we have as we begin to go, Lord, what would you do in this situation? What would, what would you do? And so, but with that knowledge, uh, once we know, uh, then, we, then there's this thing of self-control. And in that, we talked a little bit about how self-control isn't just I work out every day, I eat the right foods, uh, I have a routine, I don't uh, watch too much television. There's something much deeper than that in self-control. You can have all those things. You can be trim. You can work out. You could get your whole life in order. But for this other kingdom, totally out of control, right? And so we talked about that uh, being self-controlled is being controlled by Christ was the, the thing that we said. That, that letting God t- get a hold of you through Jesus and say, look, no, you ain't doing that. Because see, here's the thing we talked about. I'll just briefly say it. What's self-control for you might not be self-control for me. God might tell me something. That he says, look, I, I just don't want you messing with that at all. And for you, you have license. Self-control is being controlled by Christ, allowing him to control all areas of our life. So let me talk about perseverance. And uh, we had a good picture for perseverance. It was uh, this guy and, uh, you know, it, it was like, and I, it's a disgusting picture and I just wanted to give it to you again. Right? You just take that home with you. Uh, but it's like this idea of just like, no matter how hard you push, you know, and, and we were trying to say, like, what, what really for the scripture is perseverance? And so the thing we had for that is that there's no shortcut to becoming like Christ. I mean, it's just day after day, decision after decision, you know, kind of mistake after mistake, just going, oh God, you know, what do I do? And then, and then we, you know, I slammed you over the head with that verse that said, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, you know, out of Hebrews. Like, you, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. And I pointed my finger at you and I told you you're all losers. You don't remember that? Oh, okay, I don't know. I, I do. At least that's what I was thinking in my mind. Um, right? So now we're going to talk about godliness. And the thing about godliness is, you know, let's go all the way back to the, the first one, goodness, moral excellence. For me, I would have said, well, because when I was looking at the list, I thought about combining them. Um, and I'm like, why in the world would you have godliness on one and, and goodness on the other? I mean, more, isn't godliness being good? Isn't it doing the right thing? I mean, if I, I said I had godly character, uh, which I'd never say out loud, but if I thought that and said I have godly character, you would expect me to do the right thing. It would, it would be about actions, right? But, but really, godliness, if goodness is what you do, godliness is who you are. And, and, and so um, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about these two kingdoms and what it means to live on the earth, but be really part of another thing. This world is not our own and we will not conform. We just, we just sang it. Um, when I was in um, high school, I had a friend named Paul and we lived by the U.S. Center for World Missions. It's this giant campus and missionaries would be trained there and then they'd be sent out. And then uh, when they got home from being abroad, they would come back in and uh, live there for a while for their furlough and, and all this kind of stuff. Just the whole, the whole thing was filled with missionaries. Be- before that, it was actually a, a cult had the property. Uh, the cult leader's name was Elizabeth Clare Prophet. We had a, m- one of my good friend's mom was really into the cult and uh, she just basically fleeced everybody, drove around this this really gaudy limo. It was awesome. But as a kid, we used to make fun of them all the time because that's what you do as kids. And uh, so we made fun of them. Well, then the missionaries came in and we didn't have anyone to make fun of. So uh, we were bored and we decided to throw water balloons at missionaries. So um, there, there's a special 
place in hell for people that throw water balloons at missionaries. And, and that's how I came to Christ. Uh, I didn't want to go there. And um, so th- th- there's missionaries all over the place. And so my friend Paul and I were like freshmen in high school. And we dressed all in black. And then we um, burned this cork and put it all over our face so we'd be black, uh, have black faces so no one could see us at night and all this kind of stuff. And we went to the U.S. Center for World Missions and we had our little thing of water balloons and there were these two missionaries um on the grass and uh and it was dark and i think one of them was a dentist because they kept they were really close to the mouth of the other one and um because they're missionaries so they weren't kissing or anything and uh so they're sitting there and so we're thinking okay there's two missionaries making out and so we've got to stop it uh and do the right thing really is all we were thinking and so um we launched these water balloons at these missionaries. Now, like some of you, uh, you're just like looking at me like, I can't believe this is the pastor. Hey, I was young. What do I know? Okay. Uh, and, and, and I was pretty good at throwing water balloons. And so uh, they run into their dorm room. And, uh, and if there are any kids in here, it was a horrible decision to do this. Um, uh, so I don't get any emails. They run into the dorm room and, uh, oh, and, and a, a bunch of guys run out of the dorm and they start looking for us. And this is kind of exciting, you know? It's like, it's like at first it was exciting to throw water balloons. Now, now it's chase time, you know? And so uh, we're hiding and stuff in the parking lot and uh, they weren't doing a very good job of finding us. So when they went, went to go back inside, I went, hey, I'm over here, right? But I didn't actually stand up and say that. I set it down low so that they'd look all around. Well, the next time they came out, there was like 15 of them. And they came sprinting out of the door and they just started going all over the, like they just spread out. Like they had a plan. Like, like the missionaries got together. They had this plan. I'm like, missionaries. Okay, so, so they come out and now, now I'm, now I'm kind of scared because I don't know why you'd be scared of a missionary. I don't know what they're going to do when they catch you, right? It's just like, just lay hands on them. Okay. Um, so I, 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 I go, I, you know, I, we're hiding and stuff. And I hide behind this little fence that's on the other side of the, of the um, uh, parking lot. Thank you. And I, I'm about ready to stand up because I, I don't hear anything anymore. And when I stand up, there's a person standing right there. And he says, stop, thief. I'm like, huh? See, I bought those water balloons. Like, I did not steal the water balloons. But they had been robbed a week ago. And so they thought we were back. Well, I mean, what robber comes back and throws water balloons? At what, I don't know. So anyway, so, so uh, I wasn't debating with him, uh, and, and nor was I obeying. So I just took off. And Paul, my friend Paul, had already, who's way slower than me, was screaming down the street, just booking. And, and I'm... And I'm Chasing after him, thinking, well, you know, if I can pass Paul, he'll get caught and I'll be good. And, but I couldn't catch Paul. So Paul goes around the corner and he hides between two houses. And I don't have enough time to hide. And so for the life of me, I don't know why they didn't catch me, but I just crouched down like a little ball in the middle of the lawn. But, 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 but towards the house, like I was, I was still, I was just on the lawn. And I heard them all run by and then I went, uh, in between the house with Paul. And, oh man, my heart's beating. We're just like, oh man, what, what, what did they, you know, did you steal something? Why did they say thief? What's going on? You know, I don't know. So all of a sudden we hear that sound. You ever hear a police car when there's no sirens, but it's like far away and it's got this like that foot to the floor, like the engine's just like, Whoa. 
I thought, oh no, man, the cops are coming. So one squad car comes screaming down the street, then two, then three, then four. There are four squad cars. Then they start going around. They got the like light and we are just like this. I mean, we are flat faced. We do not want to move. We are fugitives. (laughs) We're fugitives. Like I never in my life when I was filling up water balloons did I ever think I'd be a fugitive on the run from the popo. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) So I, there I am. And that's when we heard the helicopter. And uh, so I'll get, I'll get back to the story in a second. Um, but I want to talk about being a fugitive, what it's like, and what it looks like in our, in our own life. Paul, the Apostle Paul went around planting churches all over the place, and he, he filled those churches with pastors. And one of his right-hand men, like his, probably like his associate pastor, was a guy named Timothy. And he ended up uh, writing two letters to Timothy that we know of. He might have written more, but there are two that have made it into our Bible that are inspired by God himself. And so uh, Paul talks to Timothy about this godliness term. And as you begin to kind of see where Paul's coming from and where he's going and what he's doing, you start to get the sense that godliness is much more than just doing the right thing. As a matter of fact, uh, in, in the uh, first Timothy, that, that, that first letter, um, Paul writes this. Uh, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Th- doesn't that discipline yourself? Doesn't that go back really to our perseverance, the, the one before? I mean, th- this theme of, of self-control to perseverance to godliness is, is all through the scripture. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Bodily discipline is of little profit. And here we go again. That sounds like self-control to me, right? Uh, God, that self-control, just self-control in your body, is of little profit. Um, is, uh, but godliness is profitable for all. All things, since it holds promise, and then here we go. This is where we begin to get the separation of not only this life, but the life to come. Uh, For for life and godliness. Listen, since it holds promise for this present life, right here, and for the life to come. Now listen, this phrase for the life to come is not when you die. You're not supposed to just cope through life, make it, and just hope, boy, when I die, I sure I make it to heaven because heaven's a lot nicer than this is going to be. I just know it is. That is not the point of the verse. Eternity starts now. Godliness, this kingdom mindset, this, this ability to look past this world into something else, something more spiritual, something eternal, something more important. It starts now. And so Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's like, look, dude, bodily discipline is of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things because it holds promise not only for just getting through life, but for the life to come. There's a sense that this godliness is one of the keys to participating in the divine nature. And so Paul writes this in chapter 4, kind of setting us up with this idea of godliness. And then in chapter 6, Paul didn't write chapters He just wrote letters, and then we made them into chapters because we like to make things easy on ourselves. Um, But he goes on in in chapter 6 to kind of describe somebody who's kind of putting the godliness part uh, to the side. 
and maybe focusing too much on this present world, maybe too much of just trying to get meaning and purpose out of the, the physical instead of the spiritual. And so Paul is talking about uh, godliness again to Timothy in chapter 6. And he describes this guy that, that doesn't listen to sound doctrine, doesn't listen to any of this counsel on, on godliness. And he says this. He says, he's conceited. He understands nothing. Yeah? Try that next time you go to work and you're just talking to somebody who doesn't you know, follow the ways of God and just go, you're conceited and you don't understand anything. It works really well. Okay? But no, Paul's just describing this to Timothy. He's conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions. It sounds like Paul's writing during an election year, right? I mean, this, you know, it's like he's watching CNN or Fox News or whatever, and he's like, man, these people are conceited. They understand nothing. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, right? but all this evil suspicions, malicious talk. In other words, what Paul's saying is, not following godliness doesn't just make you not godly. It actually swings you around to start going the wrong, in the wrong direction. You don't just stop. You're still moving, but you're just switched. And so if we don't, what Paul's saying is, if we don't take this seriously, we become conceited, Right? We, we understand nothing. We have these unhealthy uh, conversations about um, stuff that just brings envy and strife. And you've seen it. Maybe it's happened to you. It's happened to me. It, I, there was a series of uh, time in my life when all I cared about was being right. Even with the Bible. I, my, I didn't have a kingdom mindset. I, 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 I had the Bible set just to kind of be, to, to argue with people. The Lord had to break me of that. So he goes on, he says, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. Now listen to this, because now we're going to start to get this idea that godliness might be something different than just doing the right thing. Who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Okay? Now, what, is, what does that mean? Well, we can go straight to what, we, what we've seen in the past, right? Anyone who's turned on cable has seen those guys uh, with the hair uh, and the in the nice teeth and stuff, and they're 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 essentially selling the gospel. They they'll they'll pray over handkerchiefs and stuff, and then you can buy them, and they're blessed, and use them to heal your body or put them on your body or whatever. And, and <laughs> okay, uh, right? So you, you you've seen this happen where somebody's just in it for the money. Well, that gets us all off the hook, right? Because none of us are trying to do godliness just for the money. I mean. We, we want it for something else. It's the same thing. Anytime, listen, anytime we're trying to use kingdom stuff to satisfy some need or some desire and not to glorify God, we're doing the same thing. That our godliness would somehow be, listen, this is how it is. Godliness isn't something you add to your life. It's not like, well, you know what? I'm going to, now that I'm at, uh, a Christian, I'm at work, I'll be a Christian at work. Now that I'm, um, uh, you know, at the home, I'll be a Christian at home. I'm, I'll add it to whatever I'm doing. Godliness changes who you are at your core. It changes how you see the world around you. And so Paul's saying, um, uh, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. In other words, they're using godliness to obtain something that isn't going to work anyway. Now watch. And he says this unbelievable statement that just is, is really cool. 
He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, godliness just to be part of the kingdom, to be content, not for financial gain, not for a self-help, not for, but godliness to go, you know what? I want to be part of something greater than myself. I want to be part of the kingdom. I want to see as Jesus prayed, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is godliness with contentment. In other words, it doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't matter if I'm not married yet and my I'm desperately trying to get married. It doesn't matter that I, I'm, 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 I'm doing this or that. Those things, just to be in the presence of my Savior is enough for me. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He said, uh, I know the secret. You know, he, he's telling the Philippian church, let me let you in on a little secret. I've had a lot. I've had a little. And I, I'm content either way. I've, had a, I've, I've gone through... You know, I've had a bunch of money and I've been totally poor. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I'm not doing it for any other purpose other than just to have my relationship with Jesus. I'm not adding it to, to try and make my life better because my life is bad, so I think I'll try Jesus for a little while. There's something that happens to the godly person where their whole perspective changes. Everything changes. And so Paul wraps this up by saying, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And one of the things I've been thinking about all week long, and I posted on my Facebook, is this idea that if, if I want more money, if I want more pleasure, if I want more power, if I want more of my, you know, position in life or whatever, if I want more of those things, I can immediately get it. By just desiring less. In other words, you say, you know, oh, if I only had more money, I'd do this. Well, all of a sudden, if our desires shift from those things to the eternal things, all of a sudden we notice that we have enough money. Our marriage is fine. It doesn't, we don't need to be married to someone else. You know what? Being single, I'm okay for now. Maybe there's, maybe you're going through that horrible, horrible struggle of trying to have kids, and, and we all understand that, that being, letting Christ just kind of fill those needs, all of a sudden we have godliness with contentment, and that is great gain. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's in the asset column, okay? So to kind of get this point home, Paul goes, Paul goes on to Timothy. He says, for we brought nothing into the world. As a matter of fact, the Greek here says nothing we've brought into the world. Like it starts with nothing. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Like, in other words, what Paul's trying to develop in this argument is, what good is the world anyway? I, I, Jesus said it himself, you gain the whole world. Forfeit your soul? What, what good is that? He tells the rich young ruler, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. You think, wow, it's not, you can't have money. You can have billions of dollars. It don't matter. With contentment and godliness. The idea that the world is going to offer you something is a lie. And this is what Paul's trying to develop. And so here's, here's the standard Paul uses. You ready? It's, it's, it, it'll make you think this week, okay? He says, but if we have food, 
and clothing, we're good. That's cool. You got food? Got clothing? Look in your fridge. Is there food in there? Yep. You running around naked? Nope. You're good. That's, that's how a godly person views the world. Whatever. Yeah, but, but John, I, got, I, I live in like a million-dollar home. Great, fine. You content? Yeah, totally. Well, good. Enjoy your million-dollar home. It doesn't mean anything. It, it's all going to burn. It's all gone. It, it doesn't matter. It's us, when we start buying into the world system and what they hold valuable, that's when we start to get anxious. All of a sudden, they got a million-dollar house. I got this kind of house. They got this. They got that. How come they're spending their money that way? If I were them, I would have. You're buying into that. Paul says godliness with contentment. You're unflappable. This word godliness, you know what it really means? It means a worshiping heart. It's a heart that just says, God, you know, Paul says, I mean, um, David says it this way in Psalm, <laughs> I don't know what chapter, in, somewhere in Psalms. He says, my, my soul longs, I thirst for you. Now listen to what he says. Not like it's a dry and weary land. No, my soul thirsts for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. In other words, when the world is at the place where I don't even have water, what's the first thing you're going to want is a big glass of water? David says, I want you, God. I want you. See, that's, that's the mindset of this godly mindset with contentment. No matter what, I want him. Jesus, Paul said the same thing. I want to know him. I want to know him. And so he says, if I got food, if I got clothing, I'm good. Do you know how hard I struggle with that verse? I don't do that. And, and here's what happens. It, it ends up creeping in. Like, like you, you, you're, you're content, you're fine. You, the raise you're, you're in now was the one you were praying for before, right? Like you make the money now that you prayed for before, but now what are we praying Oh, God, just one more raise. If I could just get that one little bit. I just want that little bit. And what happens? We get the little bit. Oh, dear Lord, you know, your servant, your humble servant just requests one more promotion. And then I'll give, you know, whatever. Paul's saying, look, if I have food and clothing, I want to be content. Imagine what your life would be like. Imagine what my life would be like if I followed that to the letter. I just say, you know what? I got food and clothing. I'm good. I don't need anything. When I begin to step off track of that, I'm taking value in something the world says I should take value in. Now watch what Paul says about this, okay? He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. It's a trap. This is the patterns of this world. This is the thing. You're, it's a trap. This happens in sexuality all the time, right? God's word is super clear. One man, one woman for life. This is like the easiest, easiest thing you can. And what does the world say? I, I, that's old fashioned. Like it just, you just don't get a disease. That's the thing you want to worry about. Like, you know, your kids are going to be kids. You got to experiment. Well, what if I get married and I, I don't like having sex with that person? Okay. Kids, it can all be learned. Trust me. You got a whole lifetime with your spouse. It's a trap. That is a trap. And so what happens is people buy into that, that line of thinking, and it's just damage after damage after damage, and they bring all that baggage into their marriage. There's a trap. 
that the world says you deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to be happy at all. You, don't des- you haven't done enough to deserve to be happy. Okay? What the scriptures say is those who serve are the greatest. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. It didn't say you're supposed to be happy in your marriage. Now, that comes about as we follow God's word and we give up of ourselves. That's that contentment that has great gain. But in the, in the process, we buy into these little things, how we spend our money. We need this new thing. We need this new thing. I do it myself. Believe me. I spend an inordinate amount of time on the iPad 3 website, okay? I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for technology. But he says, it's a temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin, and destruction. Now, this is not just about money. Paul just happens to pick one of the issues where God's word and God's standards are totally different than the world's. God, Jesus said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I mean, I don't, you know, <laughs> I, I got nothing. So, you want to come follow me? It'll be fun. He says, yeah, give up everything. You know, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Hey, there's something for you to follow me, right? It's, just, it's like, ugh. But God knows that that godly mindset, the kingdom mindset, is great gain. And he also knows that following after something else that the world has, some lie that unless you own your house, you haven't arrived, unless you drive this car, unless you are married to this person, unless you have all this knowledge, unless you have your degree, unless you get, it's all a trap. Now, we live in this world, don't we? And so God wants us to participate. Now watch this. Watch what he says. He says, for the love of money. This term love of money is just one Greek word. It means um, uh, an affection for silver. Is a root of all sorts of evil. Okay. Oftentimes this verse is misquoted that, the, uh, the love, that money is the root of all evil is, is one of the ways it's misquoted. That money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Not money. You can have billions of dollars. And if you don't love it and you're just like whatever and you, you have a gracious heart and you're following Christ and he happens to be blessing you financially, go for it, right? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. There are other roots. We were talking about them. Sexuality. I mean, pride. How we kind of view others. You know, all these things are, are roots of all kinds of evil. He says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. In other words, Paul's saying, not only are they just making big mistakes, they actually are choosing the wrong kingdom. Like some of them, because they've been trapped, they've been ensnared, they're choosing the wrong kingdom. In America, it is so, this is so pertinent. Because all we're told is, hey, you got to live your life. It's for you, man. It's for pleasure. It's for you. You've got to get all you can out of life. You know, no one can tell you what to do. How dare somebody impose their will on you or all this kind of stuff. We are bombarded with it. You know what it's like? It's like we're fugitives. It's like, it's like we're trying to live a godly life and it's just squad car after squad car, helicopter after helicopter. I mean, you, you're doing great. I mean, how many times has this happened to you? You're doing great in your walk. 
You know, you're just like, you live in a life, you're not anxious about anything, but in everything, you're making your requests known to God. And you turn on the news, and you think, oh, oh gosh, oh, if we don't do something right away, oh, I just got, and you start getting all uptight, all antsy, oh, boy, oh, the economy, oh, if the economy doesn't, if, we don't, if it doesn't turn around, we're going to be plunged into utter devastation. We're going to become like a third world country. Do you know in a third world country, the gospel is exploding? I mean, if I were God, I could make a pretty good argument to go, yeah, I think it'd be best if you guys became a third world country. Right? But I mean, I, you say that, it's anti-American. But, but my point is, it just creeps in. You're doing great in your spiritual life. The things that used to tempt you don't tempt you anymore. You're doing great. And then it's just billboard after billboard after billboard after billboard after ad after, you know, everything. Because it's, it, you're, it's almost like we're fugitives. We don't belong here. And yet God calls us to live a life like he did in full obedience with a mindset of, I'm going to be about the kingdom. I'm not going to be about that next promotion. I'm not going to be about this or that or this house or this spouse. I want to be about the kingdom. Godliness is not what you do. It becomes who you are and you become kingdom minded. You have the mind of Christ. So, uh, yeah, this love of money is... uh, I mean, for us as Americans, we love our money. Uh, believe me, you, 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 your 401k starts taking a dip and you call your the guy who's managing it. What are, you, what are you doing? This is crazy, right? We love money. So what do we do? What do we do? And some of us love sexuality. You know, it, it, pick, pick your poison, right? Paul just happens to be talking about money. Here's what he says. He says, but you, and then uh, the NIV it doesn't say, oh, man of God. It just says, man of God. But it's not a good translation. The NASB says, but you, oh, man of God. That O oh is a Greek word. And, and it's, it's not used very much in the Greek language in, in this type of case. It, it, it's basically going, dude. Like, dear brother, dear, dear man. Dear, like, my dear. <laughs> We'd say dude. Or at least I would. If I were talking to my friend Aaron, I'd go, dude. You got to flee that stuff. I, I wasn't saying that to you. But, well, anyway. Okay, okay, correct, right? Flee. You know what that word flee is? It's a Greek word that we get our word fugitive. Become a fugitive of this stuff. No matter what they throw at you. I love fugitive type shows. In preparing for this sermon, I was watching Enemy of the State with Will Smith. I watch a lot of Will Smith movies to prepare for sermons. Um, but um, so, so I, I'm watching it. And you know what I love about it? I love, I love when the guy, uh, uh, you know, he's running from everyone and they have all the technology and he just has his wit about him. And, you know, and, and, and you know, Will Smith is just an attractive man. So he's got that going for him too. But, uh, and, then, and then they use like the other person's technology against them, like they get a radio or whatever, they find the transmitter and then they use it to bribe somebody and all that kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff. I know, I'm a pastor and I probably shouldn't, but I don't know if you remember the movie, The Fugitive, right? Where he gets accused of killing his wife and then he's got to like use his brain. But when you're a fugitive, you'll do anything to not get caught. To be a fugitive means you'll do anything to not get caught. 
You might steal. You might dye your hair gold. You might shave. You might grow a beard. You might gain weight, lose weight, uh, put on different clothes. You might hide in a shack for two days. When you're a fugitive, you'll do anything to not get trapped. What does Paul say? It's a trap. Flee. Become a fugitive. So uh, the helicopter came and... um, and it, man, those things are into I know, I know like a lot of you, you were chased by helicopters, uh, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, uh, man, when that thing, you know, you see it up in the air and you see like the spotlight going and you're just like, oh, I wonder what's going on if there was an accident or whatever. When you're at the bottom of that spotlight, it is so scary. Oh, my gosh. So we're lying there face down, uh, already prone to be frisks, I, I imagine. Uh, and so we're between these two houses. And so when the spotlight would come, it would come at an angle. And so the shadow of the one house would be cast on us and then the shadow of the other house. But there'd be a time when that light would come right dead center. And I remember I'm just like, I'm just like peeing and just like, and I remember looking up at my hand and the, the edge of that, light was on my hand and I, ju- I, I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I just, I went like this <laughs> to try and like hide my fingers from the light. So we wait and wait and wait and the helicopter's flying all around and, uh, and so everybody leaves. We get away. I think I'm the only person I know who actually got away from a police helicopter. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I put that in my, in my resume. Uh, so, but we had to get home. And uh, the thing about the police is they don't, let's see, how do I put this? Um, they're not super stoked when they don't catch somebody. And so they, they start to span out and do their kind of thing. And they have all these tricks and stuff to make sure that then when you finally come out, they, they, they got you. And uh, so we decided we were going to walk through, uh, instead of walking on the sidewalk or on the street, we were going to go through everybody's backyard, right? Dressed in all black, uh, looking like uh, we were trying to steal something. And so we, we, we made it. We made it through. We, we were walking on people's fences, dogs, all this kind of stuff. But we would do anything to not get caught. This is godliness. Well, you get my idea. Godliness has a kingdom perspective that says, you know what? I'm going to be about the kingdom of God and I'm not going to get entrapped. I'm not going to get ensnared. And the problem is the enemy, Satan, and your fle- the enemy, your flesh, is going to keep coming and coming and coming and coming at you over and over again. He'll never stop. It's helicopter after helicopter after squad car after squad car. And we have got to be ready to start thinking outside the box when it comes to our spirituality. Maybe I'm at that job for a totally other reason than a paycheck. Maybe I'm at that school, at that locker, because of somebody next to me, above me or below me. Maybe I'm in this class with that obnoxious person next to me that does obnoxious things because God has another, he's operating on a totally different world than the one. And you're just going, I ain't buying into it. As the worship team returns, uh, I want to give you this kind of thing for our one point. Godliness is having the mind of Christ. 
It's, it's having that eternal kingdom mindset that says, uh, I, don't, I don't need that. Um, that's not important to me. You know, one of the most amazing statements that Jesus made, because we all say, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life and all this kind of stuff. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I, I'm here to do my father's business. That's godliness. I'm here to do my father's business. Uh, I, it's here. It's in this world. I drive a car. I wear clothes. I, I pick them out. I try to look nice. Like, it's not like we just escape, but I'm here to do my father's business. Let me share this last verse. Fight the good fight of faith. This is a battle. In the Greek, it's like battle the battle. <laughs> like fight the good fight. Like, like take it seriously. Walk through backyards, you know, theoretically. <laughs> like, like, like do whatever you can to escape. Fight the good fight. Now listen, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Grab it. Take hold of it. Eternity is not when you die. Eternity is now. This, the kingdom of God is now. When Jesus came, he declared the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is what? At hand. It's now. And we can participate in it. Godliness with contentment, not going after the things that the world would say we go after, is such great gain. It's awesome. And the closer I get to it in my life, and as I look back on my life and the times I was closest to that, I was happiest. But he says, don't just do it to be happy. Don't just think it's just good, good for gain. I'll be godly for gain. Uh-uh. Be content. 